Hi, welcome to our Ranch Church podcast, recorded live from our Sunday experience. Our church is on an adventure with Jesus, holding live gatherings in and around the Rancho Mission Viejo community as the building that will be our next church home finishes construction. Do you want to join us for service this Sunday? The best way to stay up to date with where we are meeting is getting our weekly email. Sign up for that via the Connect card in the description of today's episode. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, presented by Lead Pastor... Cole short. And so now at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, they are in Jerusalem. It is 40 days Jesus spent with them. It is 50 days after Passover, which is then the celebration of Pentecost, which is a harvest festival that would draw many, many people all from all sorts of different areas around the world people that were God-fearers and Jews would come to Jerusalem for this celebration. So it just happens to be this day, and the, uh, the disciples or followers of Jesus are gathered. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1 on your outlines. On the day of Pentecost, Pentecost means 50, 50 days after. That's, this is the celebration. It's one of the major celebrations in the calendar for God's people. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. So this is the scene at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And what you have here is a scene where they are totally amazed, and yet it does fit in with what might be expected. Right? Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you. And what we're going to see is that there is, there is what's happening is familiar, but then it is totally unexpected. It's kind of like a great magic trick. I was watching this magic show. And, you know, you watch a musician and they kind of do like a shtick along with their tricks and they're talking. And so I was watching this musician. Ma- ma- musician? Magician? Thank you. This magician, you know, and he's going through and it's kind of coming to the end. And so you start to expect the tricks to become more wow, right? Like, and, and some of it's unexpected and some of it's kind of like, I kind of know what you're going to do. So he takes a rabbit, right? Usually a part of a magic show. Puts it on a table. Okay. Covers the rabbit. Then he grabs a sledgehammer. I know, right? What kind of magic show is this? Takes a sledgehammer. Whoop, boom. Slams it on the table right where the rabbit was. Is the rabbit there when he lifts the cloth up? No, because it's a magic show, right? You kind of expect it. So the rabbit magically disappeared, not smashed, just (laughs) safe and gone. Then he pulls out a top hat, which it's a magician, so what's he going to do? Right, and he reaches in, does not pull a rabbit out. A full-size lion leaps out. I don't even know how they do it. Leaps out of the hat to everybody's total amazement, right? You expected him to pull something out of the hat, usually a rabbit, and then it's a, ooh, it's a lion. Then it turned on him and it bit his leg. It was the craziest that didn't happen. None of this happened. But it's a magic show, right? There's a certain amount of expectation, and then also you would hope a truly good trick would also have a whoa kind of experience. This is a little bit what's going on here, only it's true. 
where the disciples, the followers of Jesus would have an expectation that God was going to do something. And it would be somewhat familiar to them, but what they experience is utterly unexplainable and is beyond what they could have fully comprehended or expected. It has this element of expectancy and yet totally unexpected. This is what's going on in the upper room. And so number one on your outline, the church receives power. And so we see that Luke, who's the author of Acts, gives these details to these flames. So he talks about this rushing wind and loud noise that comes into the room and then what looks like fire or flaming tongues sort of comes into the room and then breaks up and then settles over each one of the persons, which if that happened in this room, we'd all be a little bit freaked out, yeah? I imagine they're a little bit freaked out and this is what's happening. But what's the picture here? So as you go back through the Old Testament, these, this imagery of the fire and the wind isn't totally new to the followers of Jesus, who would be familiar with God's word, who would be familiar with the Old Testament. And so we see, going back to Abraham, when Abraham is making a covenant with God, he's got this picture of, a, uh, it's actually a pot of fire and then smoke. You have this picture of flame and smoke representing God as he goes through this sort of covenant journey. And then, you, of course, you have Moses who finds himself wandering in, in the wilderness and he encounters God. How does he encounter God? Burning bush. That's right. This bush that's on fire and not being consumed. And so he engages God. And then as God releases his people from slavery and takes them out into the wilderness, he leads them with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. And as they go to Sinai, they have the same sort of imagery of this fire and smoke and wind that they encounter at Sinai. And then when the people of God decide to make a dwelling place, they build the tabernacle, which is this tent temple kind of experience that they set up right in the middle of their community. And it's built to God's specifications and it's, and it's all sorts of representative of original creation of the Garden of Eden. And it's the place where God is going to dwell in their midst. And when God's spirit fills it, you have the same imagery going on in this tabernacle. And what you see is, as the people of God are in the wilderness, they organize, they begin to organize their whole lives around this tabernacle, which is the representation of God's physical presence. It is where God makes his presence seen and manifested in a unique way. And this image of fire and wind and smoke is all through it. Every time God shows up, we see over and over again, this is the kind of imagery that they get. And they, they literally, they build their camp as they, as they pick up when God's presence lifts from the tabernacle. The people pack up camp and they move. And then they, when they reset camp, they take the tabernacle, the place that God's physical presence or the manifestation of God's presence would be among them. And they organize their community around it, the priests and the Levites and then each of the tribes out and around it because that, that was what they were organized around, God's presence among them. And God gave them that to remind them that he is with them, that he wants to dwell with his people. And there's all these things that are hindering the full dwelling, but God wants to dwell with his people. This is the picture that they have. And then as you get into the, uh, later on as they move into the promised land, right? Not there yet. As they get to the promised land and they build the temple, same sort of images, same sort of idea. They organize their life around the place that God makes his presence manifest among them. And so we get to the, to the Acts and we see all of these images going on in the upper room. What is going on here in the upper room, right? It's amazing. 
flames, tongues of fire, this sort of a, a weird, but what we see is, is this picture of what God is doing. As each of these little flames come and rest over their head, what God is doing is he's making his presence manifest amongst his people anew. In a new way, in a powerful way, God is setting up his dwelling place on his church. God is setting up his dwelling place on his people. God is making his home, his presence felt anew in a building. Is that where the church is? No, in his people. God is setting up his dwelling place, his place of residence to be in the world, in his church, which is not a building, it is a people. And so we see that, that this imagery carries throughout it. Paul, all throughout the Old Testament, talks about this, right? And he talks about it in two ways, right? Because where does God dwell? Is it in the church, in the community of believers as they gathered, or is it in us individually as we are gathered, as that I'm at home? Paul talks about it in both ways. He talks about it both as an individual, and he talks about it as a community, as a gathering. And so he'll say things to the church in Corinth, like, hey, don't you know that you are a holy temple, meaning that you are the place where God has set up his residence? Don't you know that? Therefore, don't defile yourselves. Don't make your temple unholy by acting in inappropriate ways sexually, right? And then he'll also say to a community, don't you know that you, or as our Texas friends would say, y'all, don't you know y'all are the place where God dwells? Therefore, don't forsake caring for those in need among you, the poor, the widows, the orphans, and foreigners among you. Don't, and fight for unity because you are the place that God dwells. So act accordingly. Y'all are the place where God shows up and makes his presence manifest in the world, where God would live and dwell as he engages the world. Therefore, live accordingly. And of course, this all happens at, at Pentecost, which the, here's another fun thing about for those of you Bible nerdish type people. So at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, one of the things that is thought to be uh, really celebrated for um, the, uh, the followers of God, the Jews, was at Pentecost, it was the celebration also with all the harvest stuff of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And so the, here you have it this time of year where Jerusalem is swelling, like just ex the population is just expanding. All these people are in town for this celebration. All these people are in town remembering the moment that God showed up and made a new covenant, made, gave his people a law, a way for them to dwell with him, to have a relationship with him. That's essentially what's going on at the law. God is saying, this is how we be in relationship with each other, right? You stand up at a marriage ceremony, what are you doing? Yeah, you're declaring before a whole group of people, this is how we are going to be committed and in relationship with each other. Lots of that's going on at Mount Sinai. Now, here they are at Acts chapter uh, two at this celebration where they're remembering this very thing and God shows up and he's doing it again in a new and powerful way. So Jesus told his disciples to wait, to receive the power. And what power are they receiving? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. So it's not some superpower, right? They don't get super strength or flying or some, some sort of magic ability that they can use to exert their will over another. No, it's much more than that. But it's the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence with them. Power is found when we are in God's presence. 
When we need power, real power, it comes from being in God's presence. Whatever is going on in your life, you have to understand, we have to understand this, that power, that healing, that life is found in the presence of God. And God has come and made his presence manifest in his people, in us. As we say yes to Jesus, God has come and set up his dwelling place in you, in me, in his church. He has come to dwell among us. Jesus has sent his spirit to be with us, to be in us. And so the church is a gathering of God's people who are the, the place where God dwells in the world. And God has chosen to make his home in you as you say yes to Jesus. This is what God is doing. And what does that all mean? It's kind of humbling when we really begin to grasp it. It's exciting, maybe a little bit overwhelming if you haven't heard this sort of thought given to you before as you begin to consider what does that mean that God would set up his dwelling place in us, that he would want to make his home in me. Because this is what God is doing in Acts chapter 2. This is that picture that is overwhelming and unexpected and, and is just this, I, you know, would sort of freak a lot of us out. Yeah. This is what God is saying. I am coming to make my home in you, my church. And so what we see is, to fully this is a life of walking with Jesus to fully grasp. But Michael Green points out this. He says, when we see that the people throughout the New Testament receive God's spirit, we see a couple things begin to happen in them. And so what begins to happen in people as we say yes to Jesus and as we receive the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? What are some of the things that we see? Well, as we look at Acts, here are some of the things that we see consistently in the people of God as they receive God's Spirit. We see that there is this thrillingness to belonging, right? As God's Spirit comes on them, they, receive, they are thrilled to belong. They are keen to pray. They are bold to speak. They are hungry to learn, and they are willing to give and longing to share. Right? There is the sense that they are drawn in and excited to be a part of others who have experienced the Holy Spirit. They are keen to engage and pray and have this conversation or relationship with God. And they are not coy in their words. They are bold in the way that they talk about what is going on. And they are hungry to learn. And there, there's the sense of generosity all throughout the community of the followers of Jesus. And so when we see when God's Spirit arrives, it does something. When God's Spirit arrives, it changes people. When God's Spirit arrives, it changes us. It leads us into new life. It leads us into new desires, new practices, new schedules, a new way of talking and being, a new sense of belonging and purpose. This is what God's Spirit does. And you're here, right? Why are you here? Because you love standing in a room and letting other people hear you sing? That's not why I'm here. I'm a terrible singer, right? Some of you are good singers, so maybe that's a part of why you're here. That's why Garrick's here, right? He's good at it. I'm not good at it. That's not why I show up. There's something else going on. Part of it is the Holy Spirit at work drawing us into him. Have you ever been to a kid's athletic event? Have you ever been to a kid's athletic event and sat there on the sidelines saying, why am I here? This is, 
I mean, this is, I really have a lot of things to do. I don't know. I mean, you're not at a unit eight girls soccer game because of the physical talent being displayed on the field. Really? Right? No. Why are you at a youth sponsor uh, game? Because your niece is playing or your daughter is playing or your friend's daughter is playing. You're there because you are showing support to people on the field. You're there because of relationships. Right? You show up to show support and to caring, to be with them in it, to be excited together with friends or with family or whoever is out there. You are there because of relationship. It is relationship that brings you there. You show up as an expression of relationship. See, when we, get in rela- when we have children, when we get married, when we have friends, when we have nieces or nephews, it changes who you are, doesn't it? Relationship changes you. It does. It begins to transform who you are, your priorities, where you spend time, what you do. Here's the point. God's spirit is showing up because God wants to be in a relationship with us. And when we say yes to Jesus and receive God's spirit, that is a relational transaction that's happening. God is saying, I'm going to make my home in you because I want to be in relationship with you. And when you're in relationship, it changes you. And even more so when we talk about it being God. Amen? Right? It changes us. And so this is what we see. Right? The expected part is all throughout the Old Testament we see this is how God tends to sort of show himself. Right? When when God shows up in unique ways in the Old Testament, there's fire and there's wind. And so there's this little bit of familiarity. And then yet it is a totally unexpected display of God's presence. Right? And then it is a picture of God setting up his presence with the people. And it's happening on a day when the most diverse crowd of the followers of God would be in one place. Right? This is when, when God's people from all over, wherever they lived, are all here in one place. Because part of what is going on is a restoration act for Israel, for God's people. This is part of what's happening at this moment. All these people are gathered here. So there's a loud noise, right? We heard there's this windstorm and then there's this fire. Because of this noise, people come to check out what the heck is going on. And so the disciples are there, but others now show up. And so what happens next in the story of Acts chapter 2 is the message is preached. Right? So this amazing thing has happened. The Holy Spirit has come on the believers. And others are going, what is going on? And so Peter declares what is going on. And I wanted to just look at some of what Peter says to just explain or describe what is going on. Actually, chapter 2, jump down to 36. It's on your outlines. So let everyone in Israel... So let everyone in Israel know for certain. So people show up. Peter begins to speak. Let everyone know for, for, in Israel know for certain... That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Then they go, okay, what do we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you to your children and those far away, all who have been called to the Lord by the Lord our God. And so Peter says, this is what it means. This is what it looks like. This is who Jesus is and was. Most of the people had heard about this guy, Jesus, by now. And so Peter is saying, all this is happening. Remember that guy, Jesus? He really was the promised one that God would send. He really was God who showed up to save us. So turn from your old ways 
Turn from sin, turn from missing it. Start living in God's preferences for your life and receive forgiveness because you can't do it without that. Receive forgiveness for what God has done and live in a new way. And he says, and this is for all the people. So as you go back to your communities and neighbors, and this is for everybody. Everybody gets to come in and be a part of this and experience what God has doing. Turn, turn from forgiveness, receive, turn from sin, receive, for, turn from forgiveness. That's the things you shouldn't say in church. Turn from sin, receive forgiveness. Say yes to the adventure of Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. And as you go back into the world, know this is for your children and their children. This is for your neighbors and friends. This is what Paul is saying, Peter is saying. This is the message. This is what's going on. And then he says, also, all of you who are God's people who know the story of God at work in the world, this is consistent with what God is doing all along. He says, you know, what you saw was predicted long ago in the prophet Joel. And then he goes to quote Joel. And then he said, but God knew that would happen. Talking about Jesus' crucifixion. This was all a prearranged plan. But God... After Jesus was died, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in his grips. King David said this about him and he quotes a psalm, declaring all of these truths about who Jesus was. This is Peter's point. You know the story of God who showed up in the world and acted to be in relationship with his people for the sake of the world. That's God's promise to Abraham. That was God's promise to work through God's people all along. And God made these acts of declaring he wanted to be in relationship until finally he provides a way to be in relationship with his people anew. And then to invite the whole world to experience God's restoration and healing anew. This is not inconsistent with who God is. This is not a deviation from the plan that God had put in motion long ago, ever since we rejected him, Peter is saying. No, this has been a part of God's plan all along. And this is what has finally happened. And now you are invited into it. It happened long ago, and we get to be a part of it. This is what it is. This is how God begins to build his church. His church, which is his dwelling place in the world for the sake of the world. This is what Peter is declaring. Now, number three on your outline is how to be the church. And so I want to just look at this last piece of Acts chapter two, because as we talk about what does this all mean, right? That the Holy Spirit would set up his, that God has done this for us and invited us into a new relationship with him. What does this all mean? How do we live this out? Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, is a great picture of that early group of those have had said that have said yes to the adventure with Jesus, how they begin to live and act and work that out. And so this is what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity. 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so what do we see the people of God doing? They gather, right? How do they gather? They gather in bigger groups and they gather in smaller groups. They gather together to share what God is doing, to learn from those, the apostles, those that had walked with Jesus, and they share meals. And there's this expression of generosity. And they learn, right? They learn about who God is and what it was this plan all along and how did it manifest itself in Jesus and what is this Holy Spirit and now what do we do with it, right? They, they engage that and they worship, right? Amen? They worship, they sing together, they declare God's truth through song and they celebrate. And they also take time to remember what God has done. This is part of what the Lord's Supper is. It is a a declaration of what Jesus has done for us and this desire to be in relationship with us. It's this tangible way to declare the truth of who Jesus was and is and how Jesus wants to be in relationship with us. And so they gather and they receive God's spirit as they do it. They receive Jesus's grace. This is what communion is. And so this morning, in case you didn't catch it, we're going to receive communion because it just felt appropriate as we looked at how did the church gather and worship and pray. That we would take a moment after talking about how God wants to set up his dwelling place in us to practice this physical representation of God dwelling in us, this gift that Jesus gave us. Jesus takes the bread at the, at the night before he was crucified, and he takes it and he gives it to disciples, and he says, this is my bread given to you. That they would not forget that Jesus really did show up in person to be with them, among them, to teach them, to show them how to live. This is my body given to you. Take and receive it, he says. And then he takes the cup, and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. He says, take and drink it. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done and giving his life for us, which provides the way for us to be in relationship with him. Why? Because he finally does away with all of the consequences of the brokenness and sin in the world that would keep us from God. Jesus deals with that so that we can be in a relationship with him. And so when we take and we receive communion, it is this picture of receiving again God's healing work in us. It is a picture, an act of being reminded that God wants to be with us, that God is with us, that Jesus really did show up. He really did give his life for us. He was a real person, and he showed us how to live. And so when we receive, it is this reminder, and my prayer this morning is, as we receive communion and as we worship, that it would be an invitation for us to engage the Holy Spirit dwelling in us anew again this morning, that maybe we would begin to just take a moment and God, I want you in my life in new ways. God, I want your power in my life in new ways. God, I've been keeping you out of some rooms in the home of my heart. And Lord, I don't want to keep you out of those rooms anymore. And so as we, maybe for some of us, just taking and receiving is that opportunity to just begin to give some things to Jesus that we haven't begun to give to him. Or maybe it is to just receive healing in certain places. Some anger we've been holding on to. It's just saying, God, I want, I need this healing. Or maybe it is just to sit with the very presence of God in this place. As we receive and then as we worship. And we just say, God, would you speak? Would you remind me you are with me this morning? So I'm going to pray. 
I'm just going to invite you. In your own time, there's bread and there's a cup. And just take one, dip. Do not, none of this. Okay? Just take and dip and then receive communion in your own time. If you want to sit down and hold it for a moment, you can. Or you can take it right there. So we're just going to create some space. We're going to sing over you. And then after you have received communion, we'll worship together. Take and dip. Let me pray. God, we give this time to you, Holy Spirit. Would you meet us in this space? Would you remind us of your love? Would you remind us that you are near? In your name, amen.